Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but have been a photographer for over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preached the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as the program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week we explore one of the cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This episode is part three of a three-part series entitled The Full Beginning, in which we will be using as chapter one of a new book, or maybe the foreword of a new book, slated for release in 2022. Our last episode, I was describing my reaction to and emotions that welled up as I went through, for the first time, the actual 4x5 color prints from my first night shooting at the cross. Back then, I still used film, and my camera did not have a screen. There was no way of having instant response. There was no way to adjust settings on the fly like you can nowadays. You had to know your camera's capabilities and be experienced enough to visualize how to use those settings to acquire the image the way you saw it in your mind. On this day, I was finally looking through the images from that first session shooting the cross on that remote hill. Going through the stack of the 36 prints, I came across one print that felt like a ting when I shot it. And now, seeing it in print, in my hand, it felt like a double ting. And the one cross on that one particular print is the one I entitled, The Beginning. Why? Was it because it was the first night I shot the cross? Mm, not exactly. You see, when I got to take the time to view these first cross pics and kept looking at the image that I later called the beginning, as I studied that image, locked in and focused on the rays from the sun, the sun that had just set, but was still shooting a shaft of light, a shaft that was pointing to the cross, I realized I was being spoken to. If you recall, the first time at the cross was after a year of chasing something, after all those nightly sunsets, sunset after sunset, searching for a place that I could try to tap into that ultra-dimensional feeling that I felt the night Verna passed. And after all that searching for something, I felt I was finally being given the answer to all that searching. I believe God can speak to us in a variety of ways, through a stranger on the street, a song, a book, maybe some art, and even through the art you make yourself. They say God moves in mysterious ways, but what is a mystery? I heard once that it is simply a question that we don't have an answer to yet. You see, I had been on a quest. Ever since Verna passed, and after the funeral had become 
just the memory. I started for looking for places across and high up on that eastern mountain range. It was a 40 or 50 mile long range, and it had lots of places to drive, park, and hike to. Places at first that I just wanted to soak in and meditate upon everything. Later, I began taking my camera and fell into a more targeted hunt for sunsets each night for as many nights as possible. And maybe there was this balance that I kept falling on the wrong side of, the balance between lead and being driven. I am not sure if I was driven, but, hmm, I mean, I had had that vision of peace the night Verna passed, but like most things of this nature, the feeling of peace dissipates over time, especially as the cares of the world seem to overwhelm it, push it out. And that was part of this quest, to tap into that peace of eternity every chance I got. And in hindsight, I was anxious, restless, and not content just to hang out at the house we both lived in. At least while chasing sunsets, I was trying something to tap into, recapture, or maintain that ultra-dimensional peace I experienced during Verna's flatline transition into the dimension where Jesus was waiting for her. And there I was, a year later, a year of chasing sunset and evening meditations, now looking at a completely new composition, a great shot of a new subject, a wholly new feeling was rising up in me. And as I studied that image, mesmerizing the rays of sun, realizing that the shaft of light was pointing to the cross, I took it as a sign that God was actually telling me something, as if he were literally pointing to the cross saying, look, this is your answer to that mysterious quest, the answer to your question. I all of a sudden felt there was a remedy for the restlessness, a source for the peace I desired to be imbued with. And the whole reason why she was where she was that night, I saw her across eternity. And it is all because of the cross. You see, I believe God was pointing me to the cross in that first image, telling me as I connected the dots that it was, is, and always will be about the cross. Wow! So that was the beginning. The moment I knew beyond knowing that I had to go back. I had to go back to the cross, that cross, to spend time at the foot of that cross and soak in the shadow of the cross. And so I did. I went back and I went back and I went back again. And because it was easily accessible, I could get there earlier and stay longer. And at that second night with this new paradigm in mind, the perspective that all the answers to all the questions to my quest were found in and at the cross. And so, yes, I went back. And even though it was the second time for me, it was the first time back with this new cross perspective, and it felt to me like a first time. I'm sure I brought my camera, but I don't recall any remarkable shots from that night. What I do recall with clarity is that I focused on the cross and not with the camera. And I spent time contemplating the cross and its meaning. When I arrived, I found a comfortable spot to sit at. I remember starting off remembering the scene that I captured that first time. And I visualized the sun rays pointing to the cross and from whence it came, meditating on what I felt with the beginning print. And now, here I was standing in front of and under that actual white wooden cross. And I began to pray, thanking God for his blessings and praising him for the beauty of his creation and the majesty of the skyscapes I love capturing. I recall asking God to help me. 
I told him that I got the message of the sun rays pointing to the cross, and yet I asked, in a way, if he could elaborate and lead me to a deeper understanding of the cross. And I prayed some more, and I prayed more in that same vein. I remember hitting a wall of sorts, but I kept praying. And I started becoming aware of a few aspects of my life I needed to address that I had been ignoring. You see, I had never become bitter after Verna passed away. How could I? The feeling of peace God gave me that night prevented any little percentage of bitterness to start taking root in my soul. I know of an older man that I was well acquainted with who lost his wife. He had lost the love of his life, a love that he had for her and that he had shared with her since they were teenagers. And now, 50 years later, he simply could not handle it. He could not understand it. He could not get over it. I tried to counsel him, but it was of no use. He kept going back to how it should have been him, and that God should have known to take him first, that he should have died first. And every time I brought up God, a visceral anger welled up. I tried to share my story, but he turned me out and went back to his frustrations. He had become bitter, indeed. Another person I knew was my age, a little younger, but he lost his mom. And at that point, he'd been raised in church, and he was what some would say a strong Christian. And yet, after God called his mom home, he turned dark. Now, since he had already believed in God, it was hard to deny that God existed, but he could hate God. That was the thing that struck me. The thing is, when you try to hold on to your hate or your bitterness, and you hold things in, it comes out in other ways. For my friend, he started drinking and doing drugs, became bombastic, and generally ornery and quick to start an argument. Another person I knew lost their child, and this lady was a Christian as well, and she became so bitter that she just became numb to it all. And when I asked how she was doing, she would respond with a comatose response and a weird blank stare. When I asked her about her relationship with God, she said, what God? She felt there could not be a good God that would take a child from a mother. I thought, hmm, let's take God out of this. If her child died, which in this situation was falling from a second story height, could you say that gravity killed the child? Or would it be better to deny the existence of gravity? Anyway, I kept that part to myself. But then there are divorced people that I've interfaced with after Verna's death. The majority were either bitter or had to deal with a bitter ex. And some were very bitter. At a point, I recall saying, wow, I don't really deserve any sympathy for what I lived through, as many of the divorced people I knew just couldn't get over it. And for good reason, one guy I knew caught his wife cheating with one of his friends. The feelings of betrayal were mixed with feelings of inadequacy and it affected most every aspect of his life. For me, it was cut and dry. Verna had cancer. And beyond cancer, God came to take her home. And the peace I felt that night allowed me to move on content and without any resentment. And so I did. I moved on to a new life. I went to a new church. I prayed. I read the Bible. And yes, initially, I set out to capture and share God's creation by chasing sunsets pretty much daily. And that eastern mountain range is where I did that. But the critical word was chasing. At least that's what comes to mind when I was there at that second visit to the cross. I was asking God to lead me to a deeper understanding. And the pivotal word I heard echo back to me was led. But I kept trying. I kept asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate this message about the cross and me. Eventually, I began to sense that while I was focusing on the spirit that was at the cross, the spirit surrounding the cross was focusing on me. I slowly began to realize what it was I was actually asking. 
even though I was doing the minimum, you know, saying nightly prayers, church attendance, and Bible readings, I realized by chasing sunsets, I was living something else. I recall while praying and searching my heart for whatever that was that was bothering me, like when you know something is in your eye and you don't know how to get it out, when you feel a splinter that is bugging you, but you stare at your hand and you can't see it. And while examining my heart, I was thinking of some epic night, a few of them actually, on the sessions that I had on the Eastern Hills, thinking of some amazing captures that I had of those majestic sunsets. And I asked, like a child showing a parent an artistic craft project from school, something like, haven't I been doing good by finding and shooting so many of your masterpieces? The word I got back stung, and a lot of information was imparted to me when I heard, yes, but I never asked you to do that. I had to ponder this. I had to dwell on this. I had to accept this. And so I did. I thought a lot about that year that had passed. And my interpretation was really not about photography in general, or if there was something inherently bad about shooting sunsets. No, it was more about the life I was living. Yes, I was reading the Bible, but mostly one chapter a day in the Proverbs monthly routine. Yes, I was praying, but I knew it was surface routine prayers for myself and not really interceding for others. Yes, I had made new friends, but I was always thinking about being alone on a hill, of course, with Love Dog. And yes, I attended church, and I did really enjoy listening to the sermons, but when I really was honest with myself, as a Christian, I had no fruit. Basically, as much as I thought otherwise, I was not just living for myself, I was avoiding people in return for the pleasure of being alone. Yes, when alone, I often prayed, I meditated towards peace of mind, as well as the feeling from the vision I had that night when Verna passed. But I was realizing now that even though it may have been a natural stage of grief, I was avoiding things, things of the soul, things of the spirit, things of God. Thankfully, I was starting to see it. I was chasing an experience from a year ago, and while I felt things of it while meditating upon it, I had to accept that while it was an uber-special and ultra-ordinary vision, I was supposed to leave it there and move on. And regarding the photographer angle, simply capturing his handiwork and then filing the negs and prints away in an archive was affecting or benefiting no one, like the parable of putting the light under a bushel. In my heart, I heard scriptures like, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. The new paradigm that was becoming clearer had to do with, finally, moving out of the security blanket of the lifestyle that I had become. What is the takeaway? Well, even though I had not photographed the cross during that second visit, I felt liberated, and I did resolve to begin shooting that cross, that wooden cross in front of me. Not a passing thought, but a real, determined, committed decision to start shooting the cross regularly. With my new perspective, I came back for a third visit. I had resolved to focus on the way and not just the how, meaning the process. And throughout that week, I had kept thinking about being able to come back and had anticipation the next time I drove up to my favorite parking spot. And I remember the feeling of contentment arriving back at the foot of the cross. And I began to pray. And I was still pondering about why God, from studying that photo from the first night, pointed to the cross with the light shaft. In what seemed to me, God's arm and hand pointing to the cross. I was in a, what does it all mean mindset? Why? 
Why did finding two perpendicular pieces of wood planted on a remote hill mean so much when I stumbled upon it? Why do people make it into jewelry and wear it around their neck? Why did the crusaders have a cross on their flags and shields? Why do some people get so mad if they see a huge cross that can be seen by the public? What is it about the symbol of the cross? What is it about that cross that Jesus died on? I was in this mindset that I was meditating on the third visit. I sat there in the shadow of the cross, staring at the cross, asking for the Holy Spirit to enlighten me on the meaning of the cross. And it was not too long after I started praying during that visit that I felt a word, a question. I felt internally that he asked me, what happened? Hmm. As if the question was, what happened here? Well, not here where I was actually sitting in front of the white wooden cross, but what happened 2,000 years ago at Calvary on that faithful first Good Friday? I tried to think about it, but I felt inadequate for the task, so I headed back to my car, grabbed my Bible, and returned to the cross. I then read each account in each gospel, and stopping with each substory and looking around and imagining the scene around the cross, I discovered a new and deeper connection with the Calvary event, one that changed the way I looked at everything. I realized later that I had spent the whole night reading the gospels and meditating and did not actually get a shot in. That was two visits in a row, and the first since I decided to start shooting that white cross. But what I did have now was a much deeper and significant perspective on the meaning of the cross. My fourth visit finally got me back into shooting. I arrived early enough for meditating at the foot of the cross, and then the colors of the sky were shaping up, and I started shooting. And so it went every week or once every two weeks over the next two years plus. But it was not as routine as you think. And that is because I was now content. Through the previous year, I kept going to different locations, always searching new spots, always chasing sunsets from different locations. But now I had found my spot, my secret place, my holy place, my place to connect with God, my place to focus on the cross of Christ while allowing Christ to focus on me. And so I did. I returned to that cross for a few more years, two and a half to be accurate. And it was both artistically and spiritually. As I mentioned, this place became holy ground for me. It was my hiding place to be away from everyone. Although now it was not just because some people were a bit too much for me. No, it had become more than just wanting to be away from people. Much more than that. I resonated now with what David said in Psalms 32 in mixed order. He said, let every good man pray in his hour of need. Floodwaters may reach high, but him they shall not reach. You are my hiding place, O Lord. You gaze into the secrets of my soul. I groan through the night and cry through the day. You save me from my distress. You surround my soul with a cry of deliverance. My refrain during this time was, you are my hiding place, O Lord. And that cross site became my secret place to connect with God. And many times the two objectives were mixed. Meaning, while focusing on the cross, I was open and vulnerable to allow the cross to focus on me. In Psalms 91 it says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And towards the end of that same chapter, God says of the person seeking him at that secret place, quote, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in, time, in his time of trouble, unquote. 
And yes, when I was at the cross, all my troubles melted away, especially as I arrived intending and longing to connect with God. Fortunately, when I would contemplate at the cross, there were no distractions. The only exemption to that claim was visual, meaning I'd keep an eye open to watch the sky, whether it be cloud formations, colors, occasional rays of light. Not always, but many times, I would get to the cross early enough to spend a lot of time, especially in the summer. And most often, if I'd arrive early, it would take some time for the sky to really shape up to a compelling mix. Therefore, I could have anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour or more to sit below the cross and contemplate and pray. And my prayer sessions followed that familiar routine, praising God for his majesty, thanking God for all of his blessings, an examination of my heart, and an intercession for those in need. Which, for most times in my prayer life, those four were the extent of it. And no, there is nothing wrong with spending 15 minutes for that type of prayer routine. Praise, thankfulness, contrition, and intercession. Yes, I contend it is an essential minimum, one that typically can take 15 to 30 minutes. But as a young widower with no kids or second job, I had the luxury of spending as much time as I wanted on whatever I wanted. And for me, I wanted to be at the cross as much as I could. And after intercession and examination of my heart, I went into a habit that formed after that third visit to the cross, which was to imagine and visualize biblical accounts of that first Good Friday. Sometimes I go through the entire Calvary story, but most often it was one section at a time. Even early events like the early morning in Gethsemane when Jesus admonished his disciples, saying, could you not stay up with me and pray for at least one hour? Or visualizing how Jesus was praying that his father would forgive the centurion that was hammering the huge metal stake into his wrist. Or like the singular moment of the fateful afternoon when Jesus cried, I thirst. My point is that reading the biblical account is one thing, but it is something entirely different to spend an inordinate amount of time really meditating and contemplating the words and visualizing all the players acting out their parts in the scene, meditating on what it means, and then asking the Holy Spirit how to apply this truth and to live it in everyday life. Mother Teresa of Calcutta founded her order, the Missionaries of Charity, from her deep understanding of the meaning, I thirst, that Jesus uttered on the cross. And if you really dig into it, you find it's not what people think. I mean, it is possible that Jesus was seeking hydration, but Mother Teresa felt it was about the deep longing Jesus had that none should die in sin, a deep thirst for as many as possible to follow him into an abundant and eternal life. I was one. I wanted to follow Jesus. And that was a big part of my routine at the cross, either shooting, praying, meditating, and contemplating. And it's hard to explain how I communicate, how I communed with the silence but it was enveloping. It was nice to find a quiet place away from the world, but it was more than that. I would spend time alone at the cross for sometimes two and three hours. This was more than just an escape. This was an area of complete absence of sound, complete stillness, broken only by a visiting bird, passing planes, or sometimes a change in direction of the wind. A place to be completely alone with God, surrounded in a deafening fog of silence. And while there, I never thought about how unique that was. I just enjoyed it. It made me become addicted to being immersed in that silence for long periods. It may sound weird, but in the new world I was living with as a new widower, the presence of stillness felt like a cool and cleansing rain, increasing the ability of God's rays of love to flow through my body and soul. And yes, it was symbiotic. The quietness helped me channel my energies on God 
and he amplified my awareness of him and his creations. In Psalms 46.10 it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. And that was my prayer, that through my talent and intentions, I wanted to be a small part of the realization of that verse. I still am through my books, blogs, podcasts, and versepirational arts. And in hindsight, I've often wondered about those five senses and how they, you know, when you lose one sense, the other senses get heightened. And in the presence of such a thick silence, maybe my visual senses and my spiritual sensitivities were amplified. Hmm. And the symbiosis I referred to went something like this. The quietness made me be aware of the colors of the sky, capturing my full attention, and then the sunset would snap into an amazing scene, allowing me not only to capture it, but to snap into a string of praises and worship of God that would lead me into a conversation with the Lord. And while still shooting the colors as they transitioned into a different scene, there was something else I heard from Mother Teresa about the cross and prayer. She says, before you speak, it is necessary for you to listen. For God speaks in the silence of the heart. She also said, Give yourself fully to God. He will use you to accomplish great things on the condition that you believe much more in his love than in your own weakness. Wow. That is all I've ever wanted since Verna's passing. And I understand what she was saying as I first lived this paradigm during the sessions at the cross. Many times saying something like, Okay, God, I'm here. Speak to me. And one stereotype thought of about Christians when they say God spoke to me Some assume that they mean some big bellowing voice from the heavens that's an audible voice. But no, for me, it was not like that at all. It was more of a vision or a recollection of a Bible story that popped in my head, meaning I'd be quiet, asking God to speak to me. And a scripture story, like Peter walking on water, Lazarus being resurrected, would appear in my mind and in my spirit. This is why I contend it is equally important for all of us Christians to spend time reading the Bible. If you are not familiar with certain passages, then you can't visualize that story. And God can't use it to teach you on a particular lesson. This is why I believe the Bible is referred to as God's Word. Because for me, this is how God spoke to me. By the time I found the cross, I had read the Bible three times in my entire life. And since my time at the cross, my prayer devotions had increased as well. And it made a difference in the lessons I was learning. Most times from something I had read either that morning, earlier that week, or earlier that month. And most times the verse would be admonishing me, encouraging me, strengthening my faith, maybe even keeping me humble, or equipping me to stay fully committed and always striving to go from good to better. My overall point is that I was ministered to and healed by God as he spoke his word to me through these visions or whisperings of verses, parables, and Old Testament stories. So looking back, what was the big lesson I learned from the cross? There are a few. I learned about the character and nature of light and the transitory nature of the clouds and how the entire unique sunset of that particular evening. And I learned how to deeply meditate on past events or a topic like a Bible passage. I learned how to use my imagination to walk through an event in a particular Bible story, especially Calvary. And I learned how to listen, really listen, and to be quiet enough for God to whisper that Bible reference to me and to ponder its meaning and application in my life. I learned that the cross is the bullseye target marking the North Star event of the entire human experience, being the culmination of the plan from the fall of the Garden of Eden through Noah, Abraham, Joshua, Moses, the Passover event, the journey in the desert, the crossing into the promised land, David, and all the way to Mary's virgin birth was all part of the plan. 
the covert mission of Jesus, the sinless, unblemished lamb, to allow all evil and sin to be placed in and on him, resulting in him being sent to the realm of Lucifer, but returning with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. To the resurrection of Jesus, his 40-day ministry, and ascension into heaven. Even Jesus leaving behind his Holy Spirit was all part of the plan. And most importantly, my understanding of this gospel truth was solidified. The truth that when Verna flatlined, she immediately was in the presence of Jesus and God, her creator. Now, it means that the cross is the bridge. It is the way. It is the, the vehicle God uses for us to tap in to eternity and to go from death to life. So if you are born again, you are already in the presence of Jesus. Know this. Accept this. You simply need to live here on earth until your mortal body gives up your spirit. But you are already there with him in eternity. Selah. And in this paradigm, don't just live and wait. We are commissioned by God our Savior to share this good news with those in your circle of influence. And it is my understanding that no matter what changes and challenges we face in our lives, in society, and in human history, the story, the purpose, and the impact of the cross stays the same. While everything around our lives are in flux, constantly changing, the cross never changes. The principle, precepts, and promise of the cross never moves. And it will not be moved even when the tectonic plates beneath our temporal life keep changing. The bedrock of Calvary is sure, steadfast, and sanctified. When events in my life and your life begin to shake your footing, your foundation, and even your faith, return to the cross. And with that, go in grace, and may God keep you in his perfect peace.